The Front Row on 97.9 ESPN Radio is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. Good evening once again, everybody. Tom and Keith with you. Happy hump day to you. Good to be back by your side as always, KJ. How was my air guitar? About like most of your performance, mediocre. Understood. All right. Big news this week. Florida State fans know what it is. If you were under a rock somewhere, uh, not near a computer, not in this town, out of the country, what have you, you may not be aware, but this was the news that was announced on Monday. Everett's going to be our starter day one. And with Sean being right there, uh, both guys had a tremendous camp. Feel very comfortable with both guys. Very uh, happy that both guys are uh, playing well, and we're going to need both guys to play well throughout the year. But we'll start the first game with uh, Everett. What, uh, what separated him from Sean? Well, I just, I just think, uh, not in. I don't want to go into detail about that, but what we're at right now and the things he did, I just think it's it's what's best for our team at this particular time. All right. All that said, Keith, you and I have not uh, conversed about this. You're reaction the second part of Jimbo's announcement is my troubling part no one separated themselves well if no one separates themselves then you have to lose your number one playing not on the practice field during camp and preseason and going into the season I don't have a problem with the decision you and I talked last week and and I told you that I felt like maybe the Miami game or somewhere about halfway through the season Everett would end up being the starter. But out of respect for Sean, if no one distanced themselves during camp and game prep, then you go with the number one, which was Sean, and you let him lose it. So I don't have a problem with the decision. And because of the way Jimbo had that second comment about we're going to need both of them and I, you know, I don't want to get into details, well, that tells me there was no separation. And Jimbo's just going with his gut. I trust Jimbo. I think his ability to evaluate players is is unmatched. I just think if it were me, I would have done it differently. We'll see how it works out. Well, we discussed this a little bit last week. To me, it goes back to that same conversation when he could have played Drew Weatherford and instead he went with Christian Ponder. Drew Weatherford was the steadier choice, probably knew the offense better. But in his mind, and I haven't asked Jimbo directly about this, he saw a higher upside or ceiling to the team with Ponder at quarterback. And so he rolled the dice and moved Ponder in as a sophomore, which was not uh, did not go over well with Drew Weatherford. And I know that firsthand from talking to Drew a year or two later, uh, you know, that he was pretty disappointed at it. But as it played out and he saw that Ponder developed into a first-round quarterback, I think now Drew would admit, looking back, you know what, I, as much as I didn't like it, he made the right call. Here's the difference, though. You remember my rebuttal of that last week? I don't because I'm getting old and, 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 and I didn't once, listen and back to the show. But go ahead and remind me of what the rebuttal was. Everett's only been here four weeks. Right. Ponder had been here a year. And Ponder was very smart, not saying Everett's not. Ponder knew the offense, so so you didn't have to dumb down anything. What is Jimbo going to have to do play-calling-wise to accommodate for the fact that Everett might not know as much as Sean knows or might not know it as well as Sean knows it? That is a to-be-seen. And, and raise another issue that you and I were talking about before we came on the air that that is just pure conspiracy speculation theory. What happens if McGuire is so upset, and understandably so, that he leaves he takes a few extra classes you don't and, you don't mean now you mean after the season but so he could play next year somewhere else. correct what if he graduates and becomes the graduate transfer somewhere else who do you have at quarterback next year and and that's the biggest thing now i've i've not met with sean he and i are not best buddies i wasn't in the room when jimbo uh discussed and advised him of what the decision is by all accounts mcguire is a team guy uh, a a let's do what's best for the organization uh he he's been a, equated with brad johnson remember brad right. was the starter and then got it yanked away with casey weldon uh you know he can stay around and be the fifth year senior which i believe he'd fit in the mold of pt i think pt was a fifth year right uh, red shirt starter and, and was phenomenal in his his campaign well, at Florida State. Ferguson before him, he might not have been a fifth year, I guess. Right, but, but but he didn't play much between freshman and senior year, and he started in '88. But but my concern is is more along the lines of the psyche of Sean McGuire, and maybe I'm crazy because he's rooted and, and steadfast, and he'll just work his way through it. Uh, but I again repeating myself, I would have done it differently. Although we pro- 
probably would have ended up at the same result. Although, you know, we're not behind the curtains, so to speak, there every day. And Jimbo may have reasons for being guarded there. I think in his answer, uh, one would be, and it's sort of obvious, but he doesn't want to tip the hand that he's not going to come out and say that he's going to call a different set of plays with Everett. But the reality is he's going to call different plays with Everett than he than he would with Sean. The second thing is he's very sensitive. And I, I got this feeling listening to him. Uh, that Jimbo understands that was I don't think that was an easy conversation between him and McGuire not at and, all and, that, and that's a that's a delicate kind of walk on eggshells because you don't want him to, to head out the door well and you know we made uh, comments about you know that that Jimbo had done the same thing when he left Salem and went to Sanford well there's just one difference there he went with the coach yeah Terry Bowden left Sanford, uh, Salem went to Sanford brought Jimbo with him uh, but yeah, I, I I don't mean to to be disparaging. I I I trust Jimbo's judgment. I think ultimately this is the decision I would have gotten to at the middle of the year. Just given the fact that there was no clear separation during camp, I would have gone old school, rewarded Sean with the start, and let it be his job to lose, and then let and see wait wait and see what happens. But, well, and but that's that you know that's like saying we all like women. Some like redheads. Some like brunettes. Some like blondes. Well, the bottom line is we all like women. I think this is a good decision that Jimbo's made. I would have implemented it differently. Yeah, and it's been widely speculated that, you know, the mobility factor, the scramble ability is the reason you go with Everett because there's a lot of concern or question marks about the offensive line. Personally, in the offensive line, to me, it's not going to be what it was last year. But if you look at last year's team at the start offensive line, the thought was this is going to be the best offensive line in the country. And it wasn't. And right now we're sort of going the other way and people are bracing for the worst offensive line in the country. And the truth is, you know, in my book, it's always in the middle. So they're not going to be maybe what people are bracing for. I think they'll be a little bit better than that. But scramble ability for Everett helps when things break down. And and, and the question then becomes, does he go one-two run because he's never picked up the third receiver? Or does he go one-oh-oh-oh-oh-no and run because he's got somebody in his face? And that's a subtle but distinct difference. Here's the other thing, and, and I'm interested to see how our van, our fans respond. Everett's going to turn the ball over. He has a history of turning the ball over, both in terms of interceptions and fumbles. He had 22 turnovers last year, what, uh, 12 or 14 interceptions, and eight or nine times he put the ball on the ground. don't remember exactly what it was. What happens if he comes out like Charlie did, Charlie's junior year, and throws eight interceptions in the first two ball games? Or what if he ends up like Chris Winkie, Chris's first year starting throws six picks in a single game but, but there is a difference here I know it's a different offense but Everett has started 20 something games I mean Charlie Ward had started games as a punter at FSU before throwing eight interceptions in the first two games yeah, but I'm just saying Chris, how, Chris how Winkie was seven years removed from football other than the year he redshirted before but how are our fans going to well respond? the answer to that is we live in a society with 140 character tweets and and attention spans that last four seconds so the fans aren't going to be happy period if that kind of thing happens but but imagine if it was sean mcguire and those sort of mistakes happened and i that, mean the, the leash on mcguire i think given I, mcguire's being judged completely through the prism of the spring football game in my opinion which is unfortunate because yeah, the was clemson game practice. well i think people look at the clemson game and say you know he got half a week practice it was a big stage against the number one defense even if he wasn't lights out you know let's give him let's give him decent marks for that but the spring game he was supposedly having a good spring didn't look that great. And so that's what the book on McGuire is right now. So to me, if he was the starter, to keep that job, he he almost has to be flawless. He has to go out and go 28 for 30 every week with no picks for people to say, okay, let's keep playing McGuire. Because as soon as he goes 20 for 32 for 212 yards with one touchdown and two picks, people are saying, why aren't we seeing Golson? Why aren't we seeing Golson? Whereas, I, whereas, I still would have given Sean that opportunity. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jimbo is trying to sell that both those guys are going to factor in and the reality is maybe that's true, you know, I mean. And please don't anybody email me and say that I'm now agreeing with Urban Meyer and how to control and, and manage your quarterbacks. I, I do think Jim, <laughs> Jim, Jimbo has, you got to give Jimbo the benefit of the doubt on how he handles his quarterbacks based on his track record. It, that, and and, and, if, you and had the, a, if you had a reservation, that would be the overriding reason why you would say, coach, and, go with it, I'm behind you. And point, and point number two, when Jimbo talks about a team, uh, he does this every year after the bowl game. You know that's the end of the team. The shelf life of a team is one year, so you're worried about who's going to be the quarterback next year. I think Jimbo would look at it, and for as much as he talks about, let's not worry about the results. Let's worry about the process, which is 
you know, coach speak for one game at a time, one play at a time. I do think he believes that, but I also think he looks at this season and potential and for FSU to get where it's going to go this year. I don't think he looks at it and says, well, in 2017, the schedule is this, and I want to make sure I have a quarterback that's played 12 games. So well, in other words, he'll cross that quarterback bridge next year if McGuire wasn't here or Malik Henry doesn't show up or whatever it is. Just remember, I'm, I'm, I'm approaching it from the prism that this is year 38 that I've either played, watched, or broadcast and done games for this program. So I, I may not be right, and I certainly may not be smart. Plenty of our listeners will know that. But I do have the, the experience factor, and that what, that's what leads me to maybe looking at on down the road and not one game at a time. Maybe, it, maybe that makes me old and a curmudgeon. I'm not sure. You've reminded me of that occasionally. Yes, well, you, you definitely are both of those things. At least you, at least you can describe yourself well. Can't it, spell it, but it, I can describe it, it. It is sort of interesting going back to your theory of, you know, maybe Everett takes over game three, game four, midseason. If you look at it from a preparation by the opponent standpoint, I mean, you can be the opponent and know that there's going to be some different plays Everett will run, but you don't really know what that looks like in FSU's offense until you see it. So you could have kept that card hidden until you got to Miami, hypothetically. McGuire's played, schedule's favorable. Hopefully you're unbeaten. And then lo and behold, here comes Golson, and he's running totally different offense than what is on tape for the first month of the season. Jimbo elected not to go that route, um, you know, and you got to trust his decision. Again, back to, to the overriding comment, uh, Jimbo's ability to evaluate talent and to put them in the best place to succeed is unquestioned. Probably no one better in the country. Uh, so while I may have some personal reservations, uh, I, I would simply say to Jimbo, I trust your judgment. Let's go with it. And I think that's, what, I think that's exactly what the team will do and, and, and see whatever it can do in terms of performing. I just ask all of us to be patient if, if that turnover bug raises its ugly head, which unfortunately causes all of us to pull what little bit of hair we have left out and question anybody and everybody's decision relative to anything that's going on on the offensive side. Let me ask you a question as an, as an FSU guy. What, how do you recall Danny Cannell's career here at FSU? Uh, he, he was between good and, and between serviceable and good. Right. What, what I remember most is to come back in the fourth quarter. And I think that's what most people would, but he was the guy that followed Charlie Ward is why I'm asking the question. So whichever one of these guys, I mean, you're burdened, literally burdened with following James. That's a good point. And, and, that's and, a good point. I, I, and, and I looked back this week, and I didn't know until I looked through it, Danny Cannell was the ACC Offensive Player of the Year one of his two years. I don't think FSU fans remember that. And were it not for the, the choke at Doak, I, I think, you know, and he's having a great career on this network, as a matter of fact. Uh, good for him. I think most people would look back and say, eh. You know, but because he has that one little asterisk that it was 31-3 going in the fourth quarter and he directed that, I think he's remembered a little bit more favorably. But the, but the larger point being, after Jameis, what can Everett or McGuire possibly do, short of winning a national title or a Heisman, that would even have people remember this year and perhaps next, if we're talking McGuire, in the same sort of context? And, and that's a very valid I, point. I mean, I don't know the answer. If you to that. beat Florida and Miami, well, FSU's been doing that ever since Jimbo got here, and Clemson, and winning division titles, and winning ACC titles, and winning highs. I, I don't know what you can do. So, uh, you know, it, the quarterback always gets all the attention, all the blame. Maybe this is a year that we just kind of sit back and and maybe Dalvin Cook breaks the single season rushing record, and we and we go back to the early '80s days, and there's a lot more running involved than we appreciate the running back. I, or, because or, I don't know what the quarterbacks can do. Or we get excited by numbering three and outs by our defense and how many sacks they accumulated before the fourth quarter, and we get some turnovers. Maybe we just don't look at the offense. Let's just pay attention to Kelly's side of the ball and see what's going on over there. Well, there's plenty to talk about there, too. And we will have our uh, Seminoles.com insider Tim Linnefeld joining us in a little while we can talk about some more of those issues and get his reaction to the quarterback news well also uh, as the the college football season this is the eve of the college football season and uh, there are a couple of of rules changes to speak of we'll address that when we come back not, nothing major but there is one very interesting thing that's not necessarily a change but it is sort of a tweak to how they're going to enforce a rule that's on the books we'll discuss that more when we continue from the prime meridian bank studios here on the front row stay with us
listening to The Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at the front row at 979ESPNRadio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. And welcome back. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Still can't believe that this is the eve of the college football season, but it all starts tomorrow, obviously, for Florida State. It starts on Saturday. And we are pleased uh, that Dennis Hennigan has taken a, a few minutes to join us. Dennis is the new ACC coordinator of officials. And uh, just so that everybody is, is, is prepared and braced for the season, we need to uh, do a little bit of Rules 101. And, uh, Dennis, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to your, to your new role with the ACC. Thanks. I, I appreciate you having me. Yeah, we appreciate it as well. And, you know, in looking at some of the, the rules changes for 2015, we'll get into this. Uh, one of them may be more of uh, in, enforcement in terms of allowing the defense to substitute uh, to match up with the offense. We'll get to, with, to that in a little bit. But I, I guess the first thing that I see when I look at this list is that eight officials is now going to be the norm. So just walk us through the mechanics of that and then maybe what else in your mind as a veteran uh, official sticks out as, as significant or the, or the most notable changes going into this season? Well, in terms of the, the eighth official, it's a, he's called the center judge, and he'll be located opposite the referee in the offensive backfield. And uh, in the ACC, we used eight officials last year, and, and most of the uh, FBS conferences did. A, a few did not. Uh, but in 2015, uh, every, uh, every FBS conference will, uh, will be using uh, the eighth official, and it allows us, you know, to have uh, another set of eyes out there. Um, and player safety remains the number one priority in college football. And having another set of eyes out there um, will will help us in that regard. I don't want to go too far into into last year, but obviously, and we asked you about this at the ACC kickoff. Florida State with Jameis Winston last year had a situation where he was trying to get under center. The center judge was there. There was contact made. I'm not asking for an opinion or interpretation on that. But but where should that center judge line up so that incidents like that uh, are less likely to occur? The quarterback's in a shotgun. It gives the center judge a little more leeway. But if the quarterback is under center, you know, the center judge has to be in a position where he can communicate with the quarterback and with the center with regards to uh, is okay to snap the ball and start the play. Dennis, one of the other changes is not necessarily related to uh, rule changes, but uh, talk a little bit about the new medical observers that uh, the ACC has announced. And, and these guys will be guys up in the press box looking for things. What are they looking for, and how will they communicate on the field in order to implement the things that they see, the new medical observers? There are different policies uh, throughout the country. Uh, the ACC policy is really a team-specific policy. Each ACC team will have a member of its training staff up in the the press box area and that person will have the ability to communicate with his or her sideline with the training staff down on the sideline and they're looking for anything uh out on the field of play that would indicate that a player is in trouble physically that he needs to be attended to um that the training staff down on the field needs to uh needs to take a look at under our system the medical observer will communicate not with the officials but with the uh, with his or her training staff down on the sideline. Some of the other rules changes, Keith mentioned this when you look at them, they, to me they don't feel uh, overly significant. One thing that's interesting is the unsportsmanlike conduct for pushing or pulling an opponent off the pile. Can you walk us through uh, sort of the mechanics of that? Sure. What, what we've seen in the past is when there's a, a, a fumble, and there's several players on the pile um, uh, trying to get the ball. What will what you'll see happen is that a player from one team will will grab a player from the other team and and pull him off the pile. And oftentimes the player who got pulled off the off the pile gets upset. And now we have a uh, perhaps an altercation between between those two players. So in an attempt to stop that, the rules committee decided that. Uh, they would put a new rule in this year that says if you pull or, or push a player of the opposite team off the pile, uh, that's going to be a 15-yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. And, Dennis, I think the thing that's interesting that, that our listeners need to pay attention to is is that is a true unsportsmanlike penalty. If they get one more or they previously had one, that's an automatic ejection. 
That's right. Yeah, two two unsportsmanlikes in, in a game uh, disqualifies you for the remainder of the game. That, that's a good point. What else of the of the rules changes uh, is significant that the you know the common fans sitting on their couch this week uh, should should pay attention to? You know, there aren't an awful lot of uh, uh, changes uh, this year. Um, there, there's one in an attempt to deal with a, a substitution issue. Uh, what we've seen over the past few years is the teams would, on a play that would end in their sideline, they would substitute at the end of that play, and the officials oftentimes would have difficulty picking up the fact that there was a substitution because the play ended near the sideline or the play ended out of bounds, and there are just a lot of players in a, in a small area. So we wouldn't pick up the fact that there was a substitution and we wouldn't give the defense an opportunity to match up. And so there were situations where the offense would substitute a, a certain personnel group and, the, and the, the defense wasn't allowed to match up, and so there was a mismatch there. So what they decided this year was that in those situations, when a play ends and a player goes out of bounds into his own team area, which is between the two 25-yard lines, the officials will treat that as though – it was a substitution. So you will see the center judge over the ball, and we will allow the defense time to match up. And, and Dennis, again, to elaborate on that, you could have a situation where the offense was in two tights and two backs, third and one, and they run up an isolation play or something off guard or off tackle. Back bounces it out, picks up two or three yards, picks up the first down. But because they're into their own player's area, they could immediately substitute to four wides in the normal getting back to the line of scrimmage, and the defense either A, may have never seen it, and certainly B, because it's on the short side, they're on the other side. They have to come all the way from the far side to get in. How often was this happening? How how big and prevalent a problem was this, and how did it come to the rules uh, committee's attention? Well, I I wasn't involved in the rules process, but I I imagine that that – uh, defensive coaches from teams uh, in the situations such as you just described brought that to the rules committee's attention and, and said this isn't this isn't fair. Uh, we're, we're you know the object uh, is to start every play uh, on a level playing field, if you will, and we're not getting that opportunity on the defense because they're substituting, and we're not getting uh, an opportunity to substitute. So I think that's how the situation arose. And with the the proliferation of uh, spread, uh, quick offenses, uh, you know, the defense needs to be given the opportunity to uh, to match up in those situations. Well, and as a former defensive guy at Florida State, that may this may seem like a very small thing to the average fan, but this is this is a big problem for those offenses that tried to take advantage of that rule. I, personally, it's for me, it's good to see that that the committee is recognizing that we've got to give the defense the opportunity to make their adjustments to keep everything fair. I applaud the change. I think it's it's going to be a good one. Yeah, I do too. I do too. We're talking with Dennis Hennigan, who is the ACC coordinator of officials. <clears throat> Excuse me, Dennis. I, I'd be remiss if if I didn't ask you about this. Uh, in relate to deflate gate at the NFL level, I think the 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 the, uh, the average fan may not be aware. First of all, that in the college game, there's not a game ball that's used for both sides. Each offense supplies its own football because there's different apparel deals. So FSU is a Nike school; it's going to have a Nike ball. They might be playing somebody else, and there'd be a different ball. Can you walk us through? A, what, what is the procedure in terms of inspecting the footballs before a game? And B, has it changed at all in light of the issues at the next level? Well, what we do at the, at the college level is each team does provide uh, its own football. And they deliver those to the officials' locker room probably an hour and a half to, to two hours before kickoff. And the officials, principally the back judge, is charged with uh, weighing those balls and what he will do is he'll put a, a little mark on the ball, whether it's his initials or, or some other mark on the ball, indicating that he's tested it uh, and that it, is, um, uh, it meets our standards or the rule standards uh, for use during the game. And we then retain the game balls until kickoff. And we, we bring those, uh, uh, those balls out. We don't turn them back over to the team. 
uh, to either team after uh, after they deliver them to us. And what we've told our guys this year is just be a little more aware of uh, of the game balls uh, and where they are and, and who has access to them. Uh, to my knowledge, it's it's never been an issue at the collegiate level, um, and certainly we don't want it to become one. Dennis, our listeners in particular and ACC fans in general may not be aware of of, of uh, the official center that goes on up there in the Greensboro area. Just as a matter of uh, uh, public discourse, talk about what you do on a Saturday and, and what your day is like relative to everything associated with all these games going on all across the country that you're responsible for. Well, if I'm not at a game uh, site, I'll be at the uh, at the ACC office in Greensboro, and and there's a room there that's referred to as the the game day operations center, and it's a a room that has uh, multiple uh, TVs in it, and there's a group of people who are in there uh, watching those games from noon on Saturday to whenever the last ACC game ends on on Saturday evening, and we're in there uh, charting every foul, uh, every situation that occurs in a, in a game that um, someone might have a question about, a coach may have a, a question about. And I'll be there uh, observing all of those games. And so someone who's, who's watching a game uh, at North Carolina may say to me, hey, you might want to take a look at this play. Um, and then I can, I can sit there and, and look at that play and, and uh, get a heads up on it. Um, and um, we have a replay official who's assigned to that center um, every Saturday, who, who is really the, the person who is uh, is in charge of the, the game day operations center uh, throughout the day. Um, and it allows us to see every game uh, as it's being played and to, if there are problems, uh, to be made aware of those problems really as they occur. Well, Dennis, uh, enjoy your last free moments uh, before the fall starts, uh, before we kick off here. And we really appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, inform us and, and the listening audience as well. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Dennis. All righty, Dennis okay. Hennigan, the ACC coordinator of officials. Interesting things there. Keith and I will react uh, momentarily. This is The Front Row, presented by Hobson Chevrolet Buick and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. More still to come. <laughs> Listening to the front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones only on 97.9 ESPN Radio. Here's Tom and Keith. And welcome back to the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in Tallahassee's beautiful All Saints District. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. Tim Linnefelt will join us from Seminoles.com in our next segment. We do need to react to some of those comments, though, from the ACC coordinator of official Dennis Hennigan, and then we'll talk a little bit about Texas State. Keith, the, the basics for somebody that tuned in during that, if you look at the rules changes this year, really not a lot too significant. The ACC is going to have a medical observer. Every league will up in the press box. Uh, to keep an eye basically on technically guys. the team will have a medical observer to keep an eye on people who uh, players who may be concussed or something's missed at the sideline level uh, the unsportsmanlike conduct for pulling a guy off the pile doesn't seem significant until it happens to somebody that's already been flagged or exactly. later gets flagged and then next thing you know that guy's out of the game because which, which is the reason i brought that up because right. it's going to happen yeah, the rest of it is 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 not as interesting. I'd classify it more as minutia. Except I do want to go back to the sideline thing, and and Dennis didn't come out with the we didn't pin him down on the metrics on this, but it obviously was happening enough that defensive coaches and and schools complained that they changed the rules. And so what we're saying here is that teams that were interested in tempo and exploiting those mismatches were willfully directing plays into their own sideline. They rehearsed them. They rehearsed them where they would change personnel groups unbeknownst to the defense or the officials, and they were getting away with it. And so you hear defensive coordinators a lot of time talk about, you know, well, they couldn't match up. This was happening, and, and what we don't know is once a half, once a quarter, every drive, but it was happening. And it's to the credit of the offensive coaches and the teams that, that run this style. Hey, there's a gray area. We're going to wade all the way into that gray area until somebody calls us on it. Well, now they're getting called on it. And, and here's something that, that, our, that our own uh, Tom Lang pointed out. 
that pendulum you know, swung to the offensive side. Okay, now they're going to correct it. Well, it's going to swing all the way to the defensive sides because now if an offense is on short side, goes into the team area, they're going to allow the defense to make a change even if the offense doesn't change personnel because they've said it goes in between the 25s. We're going to stop play, look to the defense, see who's running on or off the field, hold up the, uh, the snap until they get set. Yeah, so that allows you to, to make up for a fact that maybe you weren't matched up correctly to begin with and the offense didn't change personnel groups but you had the wrong and and all this personnel group stuff and all this matchup you've heard Jimbo talk about it during all during camp and you hear coordinators talk about it all the time you know we're past the days of lining up 11 on 11 and us beating you it's all about matchup schemes and that type of thing the old-fashioned in all of us you know, hates that the the new guys love the the chess and the and the and the strategies that's involved, and this is just another layer of that onion that's getting peeled back. Let me just suggest that this would be a good conversation over a uh, a frosty beverage at perhaps Madison Social as we segue to our Madison Social segment because you really could get into uh, the detail. I, I would love to know what the numbers are on this, but uh, I'll point out that uh, Madison Social, first of all, it's a game weekend, and uh, you might as well just head to Madison Social just now go. because if you want on a seat there you need to do that now but uh, every tuesday night is trivia night wednesday night like tonight is when's uh, i can't say it wednesday's date night for some reason i had a stumbling block on that one but uh the main thing to know keith and and you and i have been known to occasionally to, to raise a glass there a time or two madison social the place to be all weekend long it uh, it overlooks uh doke campbell stadium and with a packed house and a sea of garnet and gold uh, around the stadium all weekend long head there for saturday head there for your sunday brunch head there friday night. have a good time at madison social all weekend long how about a little opponent trivia we're going to get it we're going to get into this with linnefelt in terms of x's and o's and prep and all that type yeah of thing. we'll do that next segment but, and, but and we don't have a sponsorship yet but if you're connected with wikipedia we'd like to offer you an opportunity to sponsor information like this about to be divulged by my counterpart keith jones well the head coach at, at texas state is is uh uh, Frangio, who right. coached at Alabama, coaches at, coached at A&M. He previously coached at Texas State some 25 years ago. People have forgotten about that. But in 2010, when Brad Wright was dismissed as the head coach, there were the finalists for the job incurred, included Francione, uh former Colorado head coach Dan Hawkins, Oklahoma co-defensive coordinator Bobby Jack, and a little-known guy who at the time was the Minnesota head coach, by the name of Tim Brewster, who is now on staff for Florida State. How about that? Six players from Texas State were on NFL rosters when camps opened uh, about six weeks ago. Six from them, 54 from Florida State. And the most uh, famous alumni or notable alumnus of Texas State, LBJ. LBJ. Lyndon Baines Johnson. There's your, there's your trivia for the week. Very nice. What can you tell us about their, uh, their team? Very good offensively. Uh, averaged about 460, 480 yards a game, right at 40 points a contest. Runs the ball very well, uh, about 240, 250 a game on the ground. Very mobile. They run the spread, and they run the hurry-up spread. So all this about going into the short side and player substitution and that type of thing, this will be a, 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 a team. So Charles Kelly is telling his team to push him into the bench so we can substitute. Well, given the, <laughs> given the struggles that Florida State had last year against Oklahoma State when they got into mismatches, that's certainly something to keep an eye on. Uh, but this is, is coach, uh, you know, coach speak from Jimbo you're going to hear. A team that finished 7-5, and five, played in the Sun Belt, uh, this is be their third or fourth year at the FBS level. They've worked their way up in terms of stadium expansion. Uh, they've really uh, upramped uh, their their facilities. You know, there's like nine FBS schools in the state of Texas. I mean, they they're in there trying to compete with the with the A and M's and the Texases of the world. Uh, but this is a very talented group. Eight returning starters on offense a defense that gave up a lot of points they had to outscore people last year but they did go seven and five and it'll be an entertaining group to watch on offense uh and 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 i think florida state's going to have more than a handful given the fact that it's the first game of the season i'm going to offer one more bit of trivia here do you know who zach lucas is i do not enlighten me he's the head equipment manager at texas state do you know where he was the last two years now that you mentioned it, I sure do. Yes, he was an he assistant was, equipment manager uh, yeah. at FSU. So yeah. you talk about somebody who's going to know the ins and outs of the program. This is a decided advantage for Texas State. And maybe the turning point is what you're saying? I, I'm just saying, uh, for those of you that uh, 
you know, like to, to, to put a little something on the game, just factor that into the equation as FSU uh, signaling plays in and whatnot. They, they have an insiders. I don't know. I don't know. All right. We'll, uh, speaking of insiders, we're going to get to Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, when we continue. And uh, we'll, we'll try to get a little more serious here. We'll get his reaction to the news that Everett Golson is the starter and find out uh, some other happenings from this week on the Florida State practice field. That's when we continue with more of the front row right after this. The Front Row on 97.9 ESPN Radio is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom Block and Keith Jones. And it is time for our Seminoles.com Insider Report. I'll remind you that Jimbo Fisher's post-game press conference streams live following every home game. You can watch it live on your phone or tablet via the Seminoles.com mobile app. Or if you're, uh, you're old school like Keith, you can just uh, use your desktop via Seminoles.com. No subscription required. Totally free. It's the only place to watch Jimbo's postgame press conference following every home game. Also, his press conferences uh, on Mondays, for that matter, as we welcome in Tim Linnefeldt our Seminoles.com insider. And, uh, Tim, this week that press conference produced the uh, the greatest news really probably of all preseason, maybe aside from the Dalvin Cook uh, story a week ago, and that is Jimbo named a starting quarterback. You were on the Everett Golson train, I think, last week when we talked to you. So general reaction or thoughts now that the, you know, the cat's out of the bag? Well, uh, you know, to me it, it just makes sense uh, when you look at, at what Florida State has on offense uh, with, with so many new faces uh, on the offensive line uh, and the receiving core at tight end, uh, to have a quarterback like Everett Golston, who you know a lot of a lot of players, defensive players, that you know has that X factor uh, in his legs, and when a play breaks down, he can escape the pocket, he can buy time, uh, make things happen. Uh, you know, not just running the ball, but but running to uh, to evade pressure and, and throw the ball. Um, I, I think he's just kind of the guy that it it, it sort of added up for him. Uh, you know, I do think it'd be interesting, uh, a thought experiment, if you will, to have you know this same competition, this same quarterback race uh, take place with last year's team, with uh, with so many veterans on the O line, and and you know Rashad and Nick O'Leary there. You know, maybe it would have swung more in Sean's favor. Uh, obviously, we don't know, but I do think you know there'll be a, a case to be made there. But just given what what uh, the makeup of this roster and the makeup of this offense, it, it seemed to make the most sense to me. Tim, one of the the downsides of this is that Jimbo had to sit down with Sean and say, you are not going to be my starter. You are second team. And then, of course, he had to convey that same information to the squad. Uh, you've been to a couple, three practices since this came out and has been implemented. What, if anything, have you seen as it relates to how the players have reacted? Uh, they seem to be fully on board, man. But uh, but I'll tell you this, to, uh, to a man, uh, everybody that, that I've talked to and that the media has talked to, uh, they've all kind of stuck up for Sean and said that you know he did a great job. Uh, everybody swears up and down that, that this quarterback competition was in fact close, that it wasn't just a slam dunk, and, and that Sean McGuire you know certainly did right by himself with how he performed in it, and uh, and furthermore has done right by himself with how he handled the news and how he's carrying himself in practice uh, now that the race is over. Uh, you know everybody just seems to have the utmost respect for him and uh, and the way that he handles himself. But uh, you know of course he is disappointed. Jimbo Fisher allowed that and said that you know it's he put a lot of himself into it, and when it doesn't go your way, you know, that's, that's tough. It feels like part of the argument for Golson has been the escapability factor when things go wrong. And part two of that is, given how young this team a lot of th- is, a lot of things are going to go wrong. The offensive line is not going to figure out how, who to block. The receivers are going to run the wrong routes. The ball's going to be loose on the ground. So we'll go with the guy who has more escapability. I mean, uh, reassure my, calm my fears a little bit there on that. And, and what do you expect in terms of polish or lack of from such a young team? Well, man, I think you kind of said it. Uh, there's going to be some times when things go wrong. There's going to be blisters who aren't picked up. There's going to be receivers who run the wrong route, things like that. Uh, you know, the, the question is going to be, you know, when do those things happen? At what point in the game? Uh, and, and what else has happened over the rest of the game uh, to make those those moments significant or not? Uh, and, and so, I, look, I think that by the at the end of the day, the the talent uh, is going to override the uh, the youthful missteps. Uh, and so, you know, it's going to be a question of, you know, do you run the wrong route in the first quarter or the fourth quarter, kind of thing? You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, I think that by uh, 
you'd like to think by the end of the month they start putting some things together. Uh, but especially early on, even on Saturday against Texas State, I think there could be a few uh, few moments that make you scratch your head that may not affect the outcome of the game. You certainly hope not. Uh, but but you'll see some of those uh, those growing pains and, and the process of, of everybody coming together. Tim, are we nuts if we sit back and say, you know, the offense may struggle, they may have some problems, the strength of this team is going to be, oh, God forbid, the defense? Oh, I, I certainly think that you uh, you hope so. And, and to me, that's one of the uh, the questions uh, that, I, that I have for, uh, for this season and, and particularly this Saturday. Uh, you know, I don't think it's going to take long to see if there is, is at least some tangible improvement uh, in terms of the pass rush. Uh, you know, we need to see guys getting after the quarterback, and I want to see what kind of game does DeMarcus Walker have. I'm really anxious to see Josh Sweat get in there on Saturday. People, when they talk about him and the recovery he's made, recovery he's made from his knee injury, it's just like they're talking about they, that they've seen a miracle. Uh, it really is. Uh, it's interesting to see. So I really want to see him get out there and play. Uh, and then, you know, it's, it's just the way it all it kind of trickles down. If, if the pass rush is on point, uh, it makes life easier for the linebackers and the DBs as well. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, they'll, they'll face better offensive lines this season uh, than they do on Saturday, but it, we should at least be able to, to see you know, if there is some tangible progress. From a schematic standpoint, the Bobcats, Tim, are, are wide open spread in their hurry-up spread. Their quarterback is Tyler Jones. He started uh, most of the games last year as a freshman. They've got a 1,000-yard a, a rushing back right at 1,000 yards in Robert Lowe. This is a pretty diversified offense that Coach Kelly's defense is going to face right out of the gate. What, what are the upsides and the downsides? What do you hear him talking about? Uh, I, I think it's great. I think most people uh, talk talk about it like it's a it's, it's a good test. It's a good measuring stick. Uh, you know, I think a, a lot of folks they see Texas State is once you're not you're not familiar with the name Texas State. They, uh, they haven't always gone by Texas State, uh, and they are you know they are an FBS team. They're in the Sun Belt. Uh, they, they're not in the Power Five, but they're but they're also not you know an FBS team either. Which I think. You know, when you see the schedule and you're not familiar with the name Texas State, you might be tempted to think that at first. Uh, so, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a great measuring stick, a great barometer of the, of the progress that's been made. And, and some guys are going to have to, uh, to, to be moving. Like you said, they, they move quick, they spread you out. So, you know, those detail-type uh, things, like getting, you know, your substitution packages in, you're going to have to be on point with that, lining up properly. Guys that haven't had to line up properly, uh, you know, the play in and play out in the game. Uh, those little things that you can maybe take for granted, uh, those are going to be at the forefront early on. I want to bounce back to the offensive side of the ball, Tim. We've talked, Keith and I, and media and general fans in general, about you know following Jameis Winston at the quarterback spot. But I feel like when you move uh, directly in front to the center position, there's an awful lot of concern there for Florida State. And when you consider that Rick Turkett has three guys who are starting centers in the NFL, there's some pretty big shoes to fill at that position too and and already that news has changed on who the starter is going to be I think since Jimbo announced Martinez on Monday but in general I start by speaking about the center but the offensive line as a whole it seems like they're still moving a lot of parts around to be this close to kick yeah I'm really interested by that as well uh your, your left tackle set your left guard is set and I think your right guard is set as well and for about 24 hours there we thought that uh, the center was set I thought it was gonna be Corey Martinez but uh but Brock Rubel Excuse me, out of that Brock Rubel. Uh, Alec Everly was uh, was out with a, with a health issue uh, on Monday. There was no timetable for his return, and on Tuesday he was practicing. So that gives you an idea of, uh, of what we're dealing with here. A personal uh, health issue, I believe, was the way it was. Yeah, referred. that's right. That's a personal health issue. I guess all health issues are personal, aren't they? That's what uh, I thought. <laughs> but uh, but anyway, so so we don't know how that's going to play out uh, right now. Uh, the, all we know is that Jimbo Fisher said that Alec Everly is in the mix, and I guess that's going to come down. To, uh, to Saturday, and, and I think that there's a pretty good chance that, that both of those guys are going to get some snaps uh, during the game, and, and you know, I kind of wonder, you know, taking it back to that, uh, that second scrimmage a couple weeks ago, where, uh, where Jimbo Fisher was so upset uh, at, the, at the team's inability to snap the ball, uh, you know, that's, that's the, the kind of the big thing. You can you get all your, uh, your, your, pat, your, your uh, pass protections and your run protections and all those, those schemes, but if you can't snap the ball, the, uh, the play is uh, pretty much dead on arrival, so uh, I know that sounds pretty basic, but it was something that they uh, they struggled with the other day. So I think that's kind of where you have to lay your foundation. Whoever you feel more confident uh, in snapping the ball is going to get the nod. And, and somebody you know struggles in that area, I, I think you'll see the other one pretty quick. 
So there's concern about snapping the ball to the quarterback, and there's concern about what the quarterback's going to do with it after he gets it. Other than that, we're in great shape going into Saturday night. We're talking with Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. Hey, Tim, Jeff Cameron had a question he wanted me to ask. Apparently he doesn't have enough time on the air during the week with his own show. He's, <laughs> he's curious how Case and Beatty's progressing right now through fall camp. What's, uh, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, and because, what's uh, the length of his hair these days? It is long. He's he's uh, it, it is lengthy. I'm not sure the last time he's had a uh, haircut. But uh, it's funny you asked that. I I, I have uh, I got to sit down with Kaysen last week and also Roberto Aguayo for a uh, feature for the game program uh, in a couple weeks. And uh, in talking to him and talking to Roberto, I think they're really happy with him. Um, you know, he said that uh, it, it his problems, and I think everybody who kind of knew this uh, is just that they're all sort of mental. It's not like he can't kick. It's not like he can't punt. Uh, so what they did, and what he uh, got with with, uh, with Coach Jay Graham, the special teams coordinator, is they would sit down. They sit down every day. They watch the film, and they they key in on what Kaysen is doing well, uh, and you know focus on that. Get rid of uh, of anything that that doesn't need to be there. And I said it's become much more mechanical. He, he likened it to a golf swing. You know, you just sort of do the same thing over and over and over again, and and block out any of the outside uh, distractions and. Uh, to talk to Roberto Aguayo, he says that he feels that Case is sticking it uh, as well as he has uh, in his three, four years here. And uh, and Jay Graham kind of said the same that, that he's really proud of the you know the progress that he makes. Because man, you know that's tough. You know, Case didn't always have an easy time, uh, especially his first couple of years here. And so uh, to see him, I think he had a really good second half of the season and, and last year for the most part, and has, has been able to kind of accentuate the positives of that and, and uh, parlay that into a strong camp. I wish I could express the the look on Keith Jones' face as you're discussing this. It is it is the look of a guy who sweat through two a days in August and had great disdain for the kickers who were over there playing tape ball or baseball with athletic tape rolled up, and he didn't want to hear any more about the mental issues or any of that. I mean, the, the, and, the and look my, was my priceless. Problem, and my problem with it, and Tim, you can identify with it. the kickers during, especially my senior year, were Bill Capice and Ron Stark. Probably, in my opinion, the two best at the same time on the same team in the history of the college game. So we didn't really worry about it. There wasn't an issue. We weren't worried about Ron's ability to be mechanical. He would just kick it 55 yards and be done with it. I will add, I will add Keith, that the tandem of Graham Gano and Graham Gano was a pretty good one for a little while. It, it was good, but I'm still going to stick with mine. Understand. Hey, Tim, before we wrap up here, what else uh, should we pay attention to? What else? What, what are, are we, we going to be surprised what, what, by? Yeah, what little nuggets do you have for us that we haven't led you to in this discussion? You, know, you always ask me for these surprises, man. It's, it's hard to say. They, would, uh, they, they, they wouldn't be surprised if we knew all about them. Uh, I, I'm really curious to see, uh, again, the running game. We, we talked so much about the, uh, the offensive line and the, uh, and the quarterback, and, and I'm curious to see how those two things open up the running game. We, we, you know, we all know how Everett Golson's running ability uh, can help the passing game, can help the offensive line, but you know, I'm curious to see if, if the threat of Everett Golson running kind of opens things up for Dalvin Cook and Mario Pender uh, and some of those guys if, if that comes, uh, comes into play. And then another player I think you should keep an eye on this weekend is, uh, is Marquez Wada. We sat down and talked to him for the first time uh, last week, and uh, I tell you what, he's, he's a confident kid, and, and I know you have to be to, to play cornerback, and he, he of course, is the cornerback opposite Jalen Ramsey, uh, and, and you know what that means. If, if you're the cornerback playing on the other side of Jalen, uh, you probably should be prepared to, uh, to get some balls thrown your way, and, uh, and we asked him about that, and uh, he said, well, yeah, man, Jalen's the reason I'm going to get eight or nine picks this year. So, uh, so Marcos Wise is apparently planning on being an All-American. Well, plus he's re- <laughs> he's returning. He's the primary punt returner. Too, yeah, he's right? also he's also returning punts. That's right. That's right. Well, here's so, your, uh, here's your tidbit for the day. Next time you walk out to practice, go by Jimbo's parking spot, check out his new Tahoe, and ask me next week. Ask answer me. What do you think about the new ride that Jimbo has provided by Hobbs and Chevrolet? Tell me about that new Tahoe. I got. Lately, I've seen him driving the Mercedes. Man. I understand, and, and it, the, it is pretty plus. Check out the Tahoe when you see it. <laughs> I'll see. I'll, I'll, I'll take a look at it. All right, and next week we'll discuss your courtesy car when uh, when we welcome you back to the program. Hey, I'm just trying to get like a Ford Taurus or something, man. Gotcha. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll right. See if we can find a scooter or maybe a bike or something for Tim Linnefeld, our Seminoles.com insider. And uh, we appreciate him joining us each and every week. Keith, we got some final moments uh, to react to his comments, which we'll do on the other side of this uh, radio timeout. This is the front row, if you couldn't tell, presented by Hobson Chevrolet, Buick, and Cairo. Get your best deal the Hobson way. We don't need no thoughts
control. You're listening to The Front Row with Tom Locke and Keith Jones. Got a question? Email them at thefrontrow at 979espnradio.com. Here's Tom and Keith. Just a couple minutes to finish up. Thanks again to Dennis Hennigan, the ACC coordinator for officials, for joining us. Also, our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt. Reminder once more, you can catch Jimbo's postgame press conference. The only place you can catch it is when it streams live after every home game on Seminoles.com via the app, via the, your desktop. That's where you'll hear Jimbo. I want to close in this final two minutes, Keith, just with this kind of thought because there's a lot of trepidation about the youth of this FSU team. And this is a coaching axiom I'm sure that coaches on staffs everywhere would uh, fall back on. I certainly have heard it directly from coaches on this FSU staff, not in regard to this year's team, but just in general. And that is, I can get talented players' experience, but I can't get experienced players' talent. And so if you look at this team, this is a talented team that doesn't have experience. And ultimately, tomorrow night and the success of this team, it's cliché is going to depend on how quickly these guys mature because they have all the ability in the world. Well, think about this. You, you had four kids off the offensive line that were in camps, three drafted, one signed. Probably all four made the team. We don't know yet. They're, in, they're in, down to 75. They'll go down to 53 in another couple of weeks. A couple of days. A couple of days. Okay, you're, <laughs> well, you can tell how much NFL experience I have. <laughs> and Jimbo will look at you dead in the eye and say, regardless of the five that starts Saturday at 8 o'clock, those five are more talented than the five that left. Now, just think about that, which speaks directly to your point. You know, it, you, you, you can coach talent and, and, and get them some experience, but you could have a guy that started 43 consecutive games, and if he doesn't have any talent, you're not going to win very many ball games. That's the upside and what I think keeps FSU fans coming back to Doak in anticipation and excitement to see how are these young kids going to mature and what's it going to look like when they do get experienced. It's always a fun ride, and that ride officially kicks off tomorrow night, shortly past 8 at Doak Campbell Stadium. Keith and I do this show each and every Wednesday at 6 o'clock. Uh, we, we're just uh, we're still rounding. We're, we're kind of through fall camp now. We're ready to get to game day, I guess. We've got three Fortunately, shows. Fortunately, thank you for no two-a-days. Yes, exactly. So, But we're having fun doing it. Hopefully, you guys are having fun listening. Tip of the cap to uh, Hobson, Chevrolet, and Prime Meridian Bank, MadisonSocialSeminoles.com. We will do it again next week. Enjoy the game. So long for now.